You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett. I'm the host here. I get to bring you new, cool, exciting things and great new speakers and influencers in dentistry to help you improve your practice and create a better life for not only yourself, but the people you serve. And today is no exception. So I've got a brand new rock star in dentistry, Dr. Ashley Clark, and we're going to be talking about a very important subject. She's an oral pathologist. And uh, I'm just going to bring you in and we're just going to just talk about this right away because, and then I want you to introduce yourself. So I'll just tell everybody, you know, how you and I really met. And actually we met briefly at the ADA, but I have my secret council of people and I won't even tell you who they are, but a lot of them are scouts and speakers and they're, and I'll, I'll ask them on a regular, like, who's, who's like an, uh, like an up and coming superstar rock star. And they're like, oh my gosh, just Dr. Ashley Clark. And I'm, I'm like, okay, well, you know, and, um, so I reached out to you. I'm like, let's do a podcast. And you're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So I always like people to know who I'm talking to or who we're interviewing. So give us a little bio. Who are you? Well, I like that introduction the best. Like, okay, I, I'm going to start using that. And it's like, hey, can you say this about me next time I go on any any podcast? Absolutely. So that's a perfect introduction. But no, my name's Ashley Clark. I'm a board certified oral pathologist. And I'm the division chief here at uh, University of Kentucky College of Dentistry. I've worked at University of Texas at Houston before. And then uh, also at West Virginia University, actually. Awesome. So, um, I guess I want to say I'm also on the board for oral cancer cause just so I can plug oral cancer cause. Yeah. Uh, that, that's so awesome. And it's a huge passion of yours in this. And, um, let's talk about the why, you know, because I think a lot of people, this is one of those subjects people just don't want to openly like, like we need an expert if we're going to be talking about this, but like, this is a super, it has always been an important cause in dentistry, but tell us where we're at at this point in time. Is it something you know, it's growing and tell us the why behind your passion in this journey. So, okay. Um, I will say oral cancer is probably the biggest thing we deal with. The most important thing that we deal with specifically squamous cell carcinoma, um, and survival rates aren't getting any better. So they really haven't significantly improved. Um, so 
my passion is to get the information out there, catch it before it turns into cancer. So that's that's my main goal is to educate as many uh, general dentists specifically as possible on how to find leukoplakia, what it looks like, uh, what it can mimic, and what to do about it so we can hopefully prevent these oral squamous cell carcinomas from happening. So that's sort of the why of, of why I'm so passionate to try to prevent these oral cancers. Yeah. And what's the data show like recently or just, you know, in the last year or two, what are you seeing? So the five-year survival rate for oral cancer that is HPV negative is 45 to 50% overall. Um, and that doesn't include the fact that they're going to have a pretty disfiguring surgery to try to get the cancer out, plus or minus radiation where they might lose saliva and have to deal with, you know, those quality of life issues. So if we can catch leukoplakia, you know, as it's in its dysplastic phase, surgically removing it lowers that risk of that patient having oral cancer by 50%. So that's sort of where we are. Uh, I will say that uh, the rates of HPV negative oral cancer have declined, and that correlates with the decline in smoking. But the survival rates still aren't great. Wow. And then any other hypothesis behind the decline rate in HPV? It's, it, it directly correlates with a decline in smoking. Okay. So it's, it's pretty much, um, you know, about 80% of patients with HPV negative oral cancer are pretty heavy smokers um, or people who smoke pretty heavily, I'd I'd rather say. Um, But one interesting thing that's happening is between the ages of 18 and 44, there's been this cohort of young women who have been getting tongue cancers without any risk factors, no HPV, no tobacco, no alcohol. So that's another thing I like to get out. Don't ignore your 30-year-old female patient who has a white tongue lesion because that incidence has grown like 0.6% every year for like 20 years. So that's another group that might be getting overlooked. Yeah, this is so interesting. Now, tell us what, what do dentists or does the dental profession get wrong about this most from your vantage point? Um, gosh, what do they get wrong? I think, um, let me use myself as an example. So when I worked at West Virginia University, um, for some reason, I worked in the urgent care clinic and I should not have been there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because people come in with hurt teeth and we would triage them and send them to surgery to get treated. And I would forget to look at the tooth because I was doing a soft tissue exam, doing an oral cancer exam, right? So I think, other healthcare professionals who are focusing on the teeth might forget to look at the soft tissue. So that's not a a value judgment. I did it myself several times when I was in charge of looking at teeth, I I forgot, or, you know, I was focused in on that pathology. So I think it can be really easy to focus in on the crown you're doing and forget about doing an oral cancer screening. So I think maybe just doing them every patient every time is one thing um, upon which we could improve. Um, Another thing is to not ignore uh, leukoplakia, especially if it's on the gingiva. So sometimes leukoplakia doesn't really look that scary. And um, especially proliferative verrucous leukoplakia, initially it doesn't look that scary, but if it's left untreated, nearly 100% will eventually turn into cancer. So to just not, don't ignore things and kick them down the road. Yeah, and then you're talking about not just the dentist, but team members being adequately trained in early detection and how to do them. I totally agree. I mean, when I first got started, 
like you'd hear all these stories about, they're like, listen, you do it every time and you're, you're going to find it once in a while. And when you do, you're going to save somebody's life. And the early detection factor is critical in this. Um, but team members, you know, and I, I have a special place in my heart for team members because they don't always get the best training. I mean, I feel bad for the admin team members because they get the least amount of training, but even the clinical team members don't really, they're not trained on this, right? Yeah. So, um, I do train a lot of dental hygienists. Um, and they actually find a ton of lesions in my experience. Um, they might not always know what they are as well as a doctor who might have a little bit more training does, but the hygienists have been great at screening and finding them. Um, I think the one of the issues is we don't see it every day, right? So, and I always tell, you know, my former students, don't feel bad that you don't remember what this is. Just see it and then know what to do about it. And I'll give, again, myself as an example, if you had me place a resin hand to God, I don't think I could do it right, <laughs> right now. Yeah. I haven't done it in over a decade. Right. So I haven't done it since 2010. Yeah. Um, so I understand if you haven't seen a lot of this pathology, you might say, I know this isn't right, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And as long as you say, I know this isn't right, I'm going to get it to someone who does know what to do about it. Then you've done your job. Yeah, because I was thinking about the second piece of it is not only the detection, but also the verbal skills yeah. that go with this. You know, and I, yeah. I mean, I it's hard enough telling dentists sometimes like just to screen for everything else and then they're stopped by the limitations of insurance. I'm like, stop with that. Yeah. Like, think about the best <laughs> interest of the patient. So do you do the verbal skills? Like on the verbal skills side of things, that's just, just as equally as important, don't you think? I do. And so I'm a, I'm a very data-driven person. So when I lecture about oral cancer, I, I always put like 10 slides in there about how to discuss this with patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is there's not a whole lot of data because it's not like a hard science. I guess right. I shouldn't say that. I don't mean to offend anyone. But there's really not a whole lot of data on the best way to communicate with your patients. And something that I found surprising is that communication does not reliably improve with experience. So just because you've been telling people something for 10 years doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it the proper way. So yeah, communication is very important. And also uh, patients will judge your competence based on your communication skills. Yeah. So the communication piece is important. Yeah. And I would imagine like, this is one of those things as a healthcare provider, you're like, okay, I'm gonna have, I mean, you, you have to, you've got to lean into like, let's, do the right thing for the patient. And this is just not an easy conversation to have with patients because all, all too often you're thinking about the dental condition, like you said. And so, um, and tell us more about what some of the trends are that you're seeing or some of the things that you can see on the horizon with this. I mean, do we have better, we've got better technology now to be able to understand these things I would imagine. Right. Yeah. So really what is um, trending upward is HPV-driven cancer. So now um, more men will get HPV-driven oral pharyngeal carcinoma, for, you know, for brevity's sake, HPV-driven throat cancer, than women will get HPV-driven cervical cancer. Really? So yeah, it's, it's really an epidemic that is happening with HPV-driven cancers. Yeah, it's about 16,000 men will get HPV throat cancer, about 10,000 women will get cervical cancer. So um, another thing I, I really push is the Gardasil 9 vaccine. Um, I, th- I think most people know about Gardasil, um, but they might not know about Gardasil 9, which is one that came out 
relatively a long time ago, I guess by now, about 2014. Um, but as of 2018, it was available from anyone ages 9 to 45, whereas before it was only open to age 26 to women, 21 to men. So that's really exciting. Um, it took the original Gardasil, which protected against two low risk and two high risk strains and added four or excuse me, five more high risk strains. So you have all that extra protection against the throat cancers. And the interesting thing is people don't know that more men get HPV cancer than women do, right? Because when you think of HPV cancer, you think of women, women. cervical cancer. Yeah. Exactly. And physicians think that too, right? So more women are actually protected with the vaccine than men. Yeah. So it really should be reversed at this point. Yeah. And the general public, I mean, I have three teenage daughters too. I mean, the, yeah. the, the information, the overall education is just, there's just not a ton of it. A lot of it right. is we're making assumptions on all of these things. So I can imagine how challenging this is. Well, you know, and there's been reports of surveys of pediatricians and family practitioners that treat kids. And do you talk about this vaccine? And a lot of them do not. And it's because they don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation with a child and parents, you know, too soon. What if it's too late? So sometimes they'll just have pamphlets in their office and hope, hope they pick them up. So it is kind of a delicate situation to, to tread into. Okay. So we're going to treatment plan this because I just had like a, an emotional reaction when you said that. So Ashley, I'm going to play the 32 year old dentist listening to this. I'm going to go, okay, <laughs> listen, I have a very busy practice. I know what you're saying yeah. is absolutely true. We are not doing a great job of this. Give me like the mini treatment plan. Like, where should I start? Well, I get starting next week. Like give, what should I do? Okay. All that. Starting next week. It takes very uh, small amount of time, but make sure you're looking at all the soft tissue. Every patient, every time is like the Ashley Clark motto. I like to say, so where cancer tint and where, so leukoplakia tends to happen before these HPV negative cancers. So that's sort of the good thing about these oral cavity proper oral cancers is that we can see them before they turn outright malignant. Right. So our goal is to catch them in that dysplastic phase. Now, let me ask um, you, and, is this, uh, yeah. this is both the dentist, this is the entire clinical team. This isn't just yeah. the dentist, right? Okay. Yeah, dentist and, and hygienist. Um, and in assistance, I don't know how well they're trained in catching anomalies, but I'm sure if they've been doing it for, you know, a long time, they know exactly what a, a weird looking thing looks like. Right. So, you know, lateral and ventral tongue, floor, mouth, and gingiva. Those are the most common places that we get cancers. And, um, the gingival ones are tricky because they tend to look like other things. So my advice is always, you know, treat it like you've diagnosed it. If you think it's periodontal disease, treat it like that. Uh, common things occur commonly. Periodontal disease is more common than gingival squamous cell. But if it's not responding appropriately to your treatment plan, let's go back to your original diagnosis and rethink it. So okay. that's my advice. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So we're going to go through all, again, I'm 32. I got this busy part. Okay. So okay. I'm going to do that. All right. Now, I'm over the next couple of years, I'm going to find a few of these. Mm -hmm. Talk me through the conversation. Like this is not okay. an easy conversation for me. Like I have a hard enough time talking to people about paying for their crowns. Like this is going to yeah. be like a tougher conversation or just. Okay. Like, so I kind of want to joke and say, well then sir, get an office manager, but we'll, <laughs> we'll go back. Right. <laughs> so, um, 
for me, if I was a general dentist, I would say, hey, I see this white thing here. I don't know what it is. Doesn't look like cancer to me, but I can't promise that it's not something that might turn into cancer. So I'm going to give you a referral. We're going to get it taken care of. Uh, before it turns into anything bad, hopefully. So you want to add, you don't want to panic these patients, but you want to add some sort of degree of urgency, uh, especially if you really don't think it's cancer, but it is a, a flat white lesion that you can't explain. So that needs a biopsy um, and preferably a scalpel biopsy, not a brush biopsy. Right. And you don't want to, I don't know, you, you've you probably heard the term uh, minimizing language where you don't want to go, eh, it's probably nothing. But I mean, you want to be intentional exactly. with your language, right? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we don't want to scare them, but we want to say, um, you know, I can't promise you that this isn't, you know, a, a form of precancer, and we just want to rule that out. So that's why it's important that you go get your biopsy. Okay. Now talk me. Th- I'm a big fan of the um, interdisciplinary relationships, or just having other healthcare providers. If I'm a GP and I have a busy practice, who am I going to refer these people to, and what am I looking for in communication back and forth with this expert? So great question. Um, I would recommend referring to oral surgery or um, periodontist, especially if it's on the gingiva, because periodontists do surgeries too, so we don't want to forget about that specialty. Um, But usually oral surgery, there's insurance implications here, so sometimes oral surgery can take medical insurance. Um, I, I, I guess perio can too, but I tend to find that surgery takes medical more than perio, but that just might be my my. Uh, bias. So refer to one of those two. What they will do is take a biopsy, send it to me or another pathologist and get a report back. And then hopefully the surgeon will, including the periodontist, will send that report back to the general dentist. So if you have a patient with leukoplakia, and let's say I call it hyperkeratosis, that's totally benign. The lesion doesn't need, I just pointed to my microscope, by the way, in there case you you're wondering what I'm doing. Love it, love it, love it. Um, so let's say it comes back as hyperkeratosis on the lateral tongue. It's benign. It doesn't need to come out, but you need to watch it. And the literature says you have to watch that spot every six months for 20 years. Wow. And if it changes in any way, you have to re-biopsy it. So I don't want people to miss that second part, the follow-up part. Like we've caught this this white lesion. Oh, it was uh, hyperkeratosis. Well, now we still have to watch it to make sure if because if it changes, then the diagnosis has changed. Right, right. And the yeah. prevent prevention side of things. I mean, early detection. Give us some perspective on that. Like if even if you find something slight. I mean, how much more are you going to be a hero for these patients and doing the right thing just with this? Just putting these protocols and early detection in place. So I think actually you should probably advocate for yourself for that. So if you catch something and it's severe dysplasia, well, that person had, you know, it's unpredictable person to person, but up to, you know, 50% chance of getting cancer. So I would tell them that like, oh my gosh, this is severe dysplasia. It, all the tissue needs to come out, right? But it's just a surgery and then we're done with it. It's not cancer. We've caught it, you know, um, and I, I would really tell the patient, like, I've, I've, it, not to brag, you know, I don't want to brag. You, you can't brag in front of the patients, but I'd let them know, like, how, 
uh, fortunate that you both are that it was caught at this severe dysplasia phase and not as it progressed to cancer. Right. Because now we can monitor it. And if it comes back, we can cut it out again and hopefully prevent those lesions from becoming cancerous. Because totally. once they're cancerous, it's not a fun, not a fun journey. Right. Now, can I ask you this question? We're in a weird place in the world where a lot of people are getting all their data from social media and getting sure. their research. You know, it's funny because you ask patients questions and you'll say to them, like, where did you hear about that? How did you know? Well, I, I watched a YouTube video. I'm like, you're citing yeah. YouTube as a credible reference. So, you know, I'm, I'm just prefacing my question with that with this question is the piercing thing. So I have this conversation in my house all the time. So there's a lot of myths and like urban legends around piercing. Can you dispel those or speak to them? Just what like you tongue know. piercings? Tongue piercings. Yeah, specifically. So not great for your teeth. Um, they can cause chipping, uh, you know, I'm not, not proclaiming anything that you don't know here. Um, they can cause pyogenic granulomas, but that's mostly a reactive lesion, but we don't consider them to lead this constant trauma, I think is what you're alluding to the, yep. the constant trauma as an increased risk factor for squamous cell carcinoma. It might be a risk factor, but I don't. Um, I guess I don't presume to speak for all pathologists, but I don't consider it a significant risk factor for your increase increasing your risk to get squamous cell carcinoma. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. I was just curious about that because now what you tell your daughters is up to you. Okay, <laughs> so you know, so, as a parent, you're pulling in everything you've ever heard. I've got two kids, right? Yeah. So that's why I said, listen, I don't think it causes cancer, but you, I, I'm not going to be there if you lie to them. So. I'll say the research is not conclusive yet type of <laughs> well, a thing. Well, that is, that is actually true, right? So. Yeah, so now I always, you know, getting to know somebody, and this is a very important topic in dentistry. I always love talking about what's going on in the world. And then you're also privy to a lot of research, you know, and what's going on. It's anyone's guess what the future looks like, but what can we expect to see in 2023, 2024, not only from this, this very important topic in dentistry, but like from the technology side of things, anything we can expect to see? So I think oral pathologists are sort of slow to adapt to the technology. Uh, we want to make sure it is uh, studied in, uh, you know, peer-reviewed, peer double-blind, placebo-controlled, all of that. We want to make sure that it works before we advocate for it. But there are a lot of oral de uh, cancer detection aids that are being developed. Um, there's also, you know, HPV-driven cancers on the rise. So now there's all these tests where you can uh, test for HPV and saliva. And again, we're not quite sure what to do with that information yet, because unlike in the cervical area where, where there is a predictable progression from low-grade dysplasia to high-grade dysplasia to cervical cancer, in the oral cavity, there's no known dysplastic phase. So it's sort of nothing and then cancer, which probably can't be true, right? But that's all we know right now. So we don't really know what to do with this information if someone has uh, HPV in their saliva, because about 10% of men will. So we can't send 10% of men to the ENT to get a scope that would send costs astronomically high. So I think what we can look for is taking the information that we've gathered and then trying to come up with a plan of that's cost-effective and that can save lives for these HPV-driven cancers. Um, another thing that's um, interesting to me in my field, I don't know how interesting it is to your audience, but we are starting to find a lot more genetic uh, translocations in tumors. So we're able to sort of 
parse them out into different categories based on their translocation. And because of that, we can better treat these cancers. So for example, rhabdomyosarcoma, there's uh, many different types. There's embroidal, there's alveolar, and they have different translocations. So once we get them put in the proper category, we can get them treated properly and get a better prognosis on what the patient's going to go through. So I, I think that's really exciting that we're starting to learn about more and more genetic markers. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. And I, I just appreciate what you're doing. And you're, you're obviously giving a lot more lectures now at the ADA and other things like that. Um, I want people to find out more if, if I'm listening to this, like, how do I find out more about what you're doing? Or if I want you to speak to my study club, how can I find out more about what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I've got three CE courses in the next week. So I'm, I'm trying to keep busy. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you follow my Facebook page, it's at oral pathology speaker, and I post a lot about what I'm doing on there, or you can just email me. And it's ashley.clark.dds at uky.edu. So people just email me um, if they want me to come come speak. That's awesome. That's awesome. I really yeah. appreciate being here. Any last thoughts you have on just this, the future of oral pathology and where, what we might consider? Um, gosh, I would say, um, you know, the oral path CE courses might not be like, you know, the most fancy, but I would try to take one uh, at least every year if you can, because like I said, I myself could not place a resin because I just don't do it anymore. And if you don't see pathology every single day, it's sort of nice to get a refresher course in it. So that would be my advice. Awesome. Thank you so much. So if you're listening, I, and we're going to put our, our post uh, production team is going to put all the links that Ashley meant or uh, that actually she said in there, like your email address, all of those things. And you can just go up to the show notes and you can click right on it. And then uh, you can also see the topics that we talked about uh, and make sure you check those things out. So thank you for being on and stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else. Thank, thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. But thank you guys for listening to Best Practices Show podcast. If you enjoyed today, which I know you did, just do us a favor, hit the share button, share with your friends, keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see on this topic. And I'll have Ashley back and we'll ask her the tough questions or anything you guys want to see. And until we see you guys next time, keep watching The Best Practices Show. You guys have a good day. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching The Best Practices Show.